Thank you, Scott. Well, let's open up our Bibles together to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's a great honor to be here with you. Um, I am um, uh, super pumped to finally meet you. If I can just be perfectly honest, I'm sick and tired of hearing about you. Uh, over the last two years in our uh, doctoral journey together, um, Scott uh, spoke about you a lot, and it kind of was obnoxious. Um, but I can see why he brags on you, loves you. Um, I believe that you have one of the greatest pastors in all the world, in Pastor Scott Lair. Can we thank God for your pastor? And I'll tell you what, I got to meet... Um, his wife and, and kids last night, uh, man, gold, gold, absolute gold. I got three boys. We're going to arrange some marriages. <laughs> and uh, I, I love them so much. I'm so thankful that, um, you know, this family just getting to be in their house last night and um, see them interact. I mean, that's where you find the real deal, you know. And when you're in class together. <laughs> just to be perfectly honest as well, um, Scott got two doctorates, um, his and mine. <laughs> There's no way I would have completed the program without Scott, and you'll see opposites attract. He's a lot better preacher than me, but I'm way better looking than him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to find another friend, a moment we hit it off, you know, we started to hang out together and go through this program to find another friend that loves God, his family loves God first, um, loves his family first, and then loves the church. Uh, that's fun. That's a lot of fun. And so it's a great blessing to be here with you. Let's look at this uh, passage. We're going to be looking at verse 10 through 20 in Ephesians chapter 6, but uh, verse 11 will kick this off for us. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, a little disclaimer, our church in the city of New Orleans walked through this passage in four weeks. I'm gonna try in about 20, 25 minutes to preach four weeks worth of content. Um, but I do wanna invite you because we're sister churches and we partner together in the gospel. You can go on our website, vintagechurchnola.com, vintagechurchnola.com slash armor. And you can find a bunch of resources on the armor of God. And so if you'll forgive me this morning, Pastor Scott said I couldn't preach till 4 p.m. Um, I have got available for you tons of resources on the armor of God in this passage. And I want to encourage you. There's even small group discussion and there's a six-day armor challenge to pray and fast on the armor of God. So I want to encourage you. VintageChurchNola.com slash armor. You know, I could tell you a lot about myself. Um, I am in New Orleans um, and from New Orleans, but I'm not your typical New Orleanian. Um, my whole family is South African. My parents were called by God to America as missionaries to America. I know that's hard for us to understand because America's the hope of the world, right? 
Um, but God calls people to our country, amen, uh, to preach the gospel. And so um, God called my parents from Africa to America in 1979. I was born in 1981, to just show you how old I am. And so in 1981, I was born there in the city, grew up in the city. And then at the age of 14, I moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina, where my dad's been pastor of First Baptist Church Spartanburg over the last 20 plus years. Also has the privilege of serving as Dr. Billy Graham's pastor and a ministry all over the world. So it's a great honor. But this is how I explain myself to people. I'm a Cajun African-American redneck. So I can relate to a lot, of, a lot of people. Look, I can tell you about my, my beautiful family. Uh, my wife, Annabeth, a good South Carolina girl. Uh, we dated for seven years before we got married, been married 12 years. She's my honey bun. I love her. And um, we have four kids, uh, three older boys. Bolt is eight. Mac and Bert, my twin boys, are six. We gave them um, easy one-syllable yelling names because I knew I was going to yell at them a lot, and I needed to get it all out in one breath. Bolt, Mac, Burke, here, right? And then God shined on us from heaven and gave us a princess. And so my fourth is Carolina McCall. And so this daddy says her full name all the time. So it's Bolt, Mac, Burke, here, Carolina McCall. <laughs> and it's not even close, y'all. She's my favorite. I mean, it's not even close. She is totally my favorite. She's three, so cute, so beautiful, looks just like her daddy. <laughs> and um, I could tell you about our family. I could tell you about our call of God. Um, I ran from the call of God to, to preach the gospel and um, grew up as a preacher's kid. Church people be mean. The last thing I wanted to do was that, so I tried to play college basketball and then get to the NBA and was a little bit too fat and short and... I played college basketball about 40 pounds ago. These jeans used to be loose. And, uh, and so accepted God's call to preach. And I said, anywhere but New Orleans. And the Lord sent me to New Orleans. And a year after we moved there, Hurricane Katrina hit. And my family and I lost everything and found ourselves kind of scrambling. Believe it or not, the Lord calls brought Hurricane Katrina into my life personally to call me to the city of New Orleans beyond seminary. And my wife and I were serving in the city. I was serving, doing a rebuilding ministry with the New Orleans Baptist Seminary there. And my wife is a massage therapist. And yes, it's awesome being married to a massage therapist. Uh, we started to love on her coworkers. Had the privilege of leading one of her coworkers to the Lord. And uh, the Lord called us to start a Bible study in our home. Eight years ago, we'll be celebrating our ninth birthday this September. A little bit behind you guys. And um, I can only just say this about Vintage Church in New Orleans. Yes, we moved 13 different times. Spiritual warfare like you wouldn't believe. Um, I've done enough to mess that thing up. But we are a beautiful story of God's grace. And I think that's what I love about Southbridge Fellowship. Your pastor's brilliant, but he's done enough to mess this up too. And what I see before me is a beautiful story of God's grace. So I could tell you about that, New Orleans Saints chaplain and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm here to tell you most importantly? I am a follower of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. I think that's the most important thing for you to know. 
At the age of seven, my dad was one of those revival preachers back in the day. Revival preachers only had five sermons. And so I had already memorized this sermon that he was preaching at the East Edgewater Baptist Church real close to where that tornado hit New Orleans a couple weeks ago. My dad gave an invitation. How do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? During the 665th stanza of Just As I Am, because you sang that until someone moved, right? I, I believe back in the day, people just responded to shut the band up. But I got up because the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life through my dad's sermon. And I'll never forget, my grandparents were with me, my bumpa and my papa. And my bumpa pulls me by the belt buckle as I get up to respond. He says, Robbie, you know better than to get up to go to the potty during the invitation. I said, but Bumpa, I'm giving my life to Jesus. He kicked me down the aisle. He was so pumped. <laughs> and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And you know, from that moment at the age of seven, this statement that's on the screen behind me became true in my life. We don't fight for victory in Jesus Christ. We fight from victory. A mighty fortress is our God. And so we're going to talk about the armor of God, but I've got to believe some of you have rocked into here and you've already bought the lie of the enemy here in this room. You feel defeated. You feel depressed. You feel like you're weak. Listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are strong. For where you are weak, he is strong. He is one who lifts up our head. He is one who places us on a solid rock. And Jesus Christ was, is, and forever will be completely victorious. Now, I'm kind of Baptocostal, and so if you say amen to me, I'll even get even more crunk up in this piece. But if you stay there, I'll say amen and go back to New Orleans. So keep feeding me. The mighty fortress is our God, amen? amen? He is so good. He is so good. And so here in this text, the Apostle Paul presents four challenges. Four challenges on putting on the armor of God, these battles that we face. I know every single one of us, if I pass this microphone around today, are going through some form of a battle. Believe it or not, I would say this. Based upon what I read in scripture, if you're not going through a battle right now in Christ Jesus, it could possibly mean that you're doing nothing of significance for the kingdom of God. The enemies dubbed you a water boy. As the chaplain for the New Orleans Saints over the last six years, I can assure you that Drew Brees, when he plays against the Panthers, doesn't study film on the Panthers water boy. He could care less. Well, look at that, fellas. That water boy's carrying five cups at one time. One's got Gatorade. One's got a LaCroix. One's got Powerade. There's water there, and there's a coffee. Man, we got to watch out for that guy. He doesn't care. The enemy might be leaving you alone right now because the enemy's saying, look at this person. All they're doing is showing up at church once a week. They don't do anything else. They don't do nothing of significant. They haven't put on the helmet. They haven't put on the pads. They're no threat to my kingdom and what I'm trying to establish against God. So I'm just going to let them be. 
When you put the helmet on and the pads on, you get in the game. You experience spiritual warfare. And thus, what we find in this text are some challenges. Now, I want to encourage you this morning to get a pen and a sheet of paper and write down some notes. Because the goal of church is to look holier than your neighbor. And that makes you look holier than your neighbor. And so, number one, we're going to look in this text at verse 10. Let's all say it out loud. Be strong. Come on, say it like you mean it. Be strong. Be strong. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This word finally is kind of a cap to even the book of Ephesians. But one of the things I love doing is you don't ever want to just go and pull a scripture out. Um, one of the things you'll find out throughout scripture is that Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 fits with all of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 fits with all the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 fits with the entire Bible. And so what we find is that this beautiful, infallible word of God is living and active. And so what's going on around this? We'll rewind just a little bit. And what you'll find in Ephesians chapter 5 is Paul telling us to live for Jesus in the home and in the workplace. You know, that's where the real battle is. The real battle's not right now is I've got a microphone in a church building. We don't go to church. We are the church. So be the church. Who cares if Southbridge Fellowship ever gets a building or not? You're the people of God. Be like us, like the Old Testament Israelites, and wander around this place for a few years. That's what we were in New Orleans. Doesn't matter. We're the people of God. Hope's not in 501c3 with the state or a building or any institution or anything. We're the people of God. Those in Katrina that couldn't make it before the storm to after the storm were putting more of their hope in a building than in the people. The churches that made it through that storm when the building was gone were the churches that focused on being the people. So finally, be strong in the Lord. This finally is in the home, in the workplace, get to it. And then there's this exhortation from Paul where he declares, be strong. And when I hear that, I think about my dad. My dad was a tank commander in the South African Army. He was a rugby and cricket coach. And then he became a pastor. You know I got whooped as a kid. So when I would come home with these pity parties and, Mom, Dad, you know, I can't do this, my dad would have a line. He'd say, what seems to be your problem? Get your act. I feel like Paul's looking at the church and saying, what seems to be your problem? You're going through attacks. You're struggling. You're having resistance. Where did you ever see that this was going to be easy on this side of heaven? Your life is not your own. This world is not your home. Be strong. But he doesn't leave it there, does he? You'll never find in Scripture an exhortation of what without who. And Paul here says, finally be strong in who? In the Lord and in the strength of his might. What did Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me you can do? Nothing. 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 The strength of his might speaks to that Psalm 20 passage. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The power's not in chariots and horses. That's a building. That's a program. That's anything from this world. The power is in the Lord. 
Those who trust in the name of the Lord our God will never fall. Those who trust in chariots and horses will. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Everybody say, be strong. strong. Number two, stand against. Say, stand against. Verse 11 and verse 12 says this, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not a physical battle. But against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I had the privilege a couple years ago, Scott and I just came from Dallas, Texas together. It's one of our partner churches that's been very generous to both of our churches, Prestonwood Baptist. We were there thanking them for their support of our church. Our church has planted five churches out of our church and now they're adopting them and I brought three of them and introduced Prestonwood to their grandchildren. And so we're multiplying the gospel. We were there, Pastor Jack Graham, who's a senior pastor, invited me two years ago to go to India with a few pastors to train some pastors. And when we were over there, the first assignment we had is we went into house churches all over the country and preached. All of us that spread out, about five, six pastors, experienced demonic activity the moment we started to ask people to give their lives to Christ. Demonic activity like you've never seen. Public demonic, angry activity. We went back after lunch, after praying in the name of Jesus and seeing miracles and people saved, and we said to our host that was there, why is the enemy so loud and proud here? Why is the enemy coming out in this way? We don't see it so rampant in America. Why is the enemy way more dangerous here in India? And that guide stopped us. He said, no, 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 no. I've been to America. Listen, the enemy is way more dangerous in America than in India. In India, we believe in spiritual warfare. We don't fall back when people are struggling to man-made fixes. We know that demons are at work. We know there's a spiritual realm at work. In America, the demonic activity hides behind our prosperity, behind our materialism, behind our thoughts even as a church that the only way we're going to reach this entire region for Jesus is through a building. The enemy hides behind those types of things. Listen, the enemy wants to win the battle in America. And so why would the enemy start to convince demonic activity to get public? We've bought the lies of the enemy that pills will fix that thing. That a program will fix that thing. I think if demonic activity started to get so public, the church would repent. Thus, the enemy would be losing. But the enemy's winning right now because we're buying the lies. This enemy, I've got some things written down here to just remind myself. You know, I'm always amazed when I... Get to hang with those saints guys and those of you who are in sports. You, you've got to know the opposition. Some of y'all, maybe you need to just do a little bit of Satanology. You, you need to study the enemy. You need to know the opposition. He was created by God. Don't ever forget that. God controls Satan, uses Satan, defeats Satan. Don't forget that. And so this enemy, one preacher said, the devil is still God's devil. He's a fallen angel, Satan, named Lucifer. Um, And his job when he was in heaven was to cover the throne of God with praise. Instead, he coveted the throne. 
Thus he was cast out of heaven into hell. He dragged with him a third of angels who are his demons, and he's been active ever since. The names in scripture of the enemy, prince of this world, god of this age, prince of demons, 52 times referred to as Satan, which means adversary, 35 times devil, which means slanderer. He's the old serpent, great dragon, roaring lion, evil one, destroyer. His work is to pervert God's word, oppose God's work. He tries to restrict the gospel. He snares the wicked. He deceives the nations. He runs the whole evil system. He's the source of temptation. He murders. He lies. He works publicly and covertly in our city in New Orleans. He'll be religious if he needs to be. He'll be spiritual if he needs to be. He'll be carefree if he needs to be on Mardi Gras Sunday as I'm preaching right now. Laissez bon temps, roulez. 25-year-old last night got drunk and plowed through a crowd, plowing over 28 people on a parade route really close to our second location of our church. The enemy's at work. So he works. Do you know that he works through humans that don't know Jesus? If you're here today and I'm just letting you know this is the truth, you have no ability to defeat Satan outside of Jesus. You have no ability. And so I'm pleading with you to give your life to Jesus. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. How about it? You can fight today not for victory but from victory. And so this is that enemy. The Lord has given us this passage as a reminder to stand against the enemy. Look at verse 11. There's three things that Paul speaks about to remind us on how to stand against. Number one, it says, put on the whole armor of God. You know what this speaks to? Receive his presence. Receive his presence. True peace is not found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. Jesus has provided us in the gospel his presence. And when we have Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Mighty fortress is our God. Receive his presence. Now, when you go study this, I'm just telling you, I got to detox myself from some of my upbringing. Um, Some of the things we did in the church back in the 80s, it's amazing anybody got saved. I had a Sunday school class, and I love you if you did this as well, but it was torment and scarred me for life. We'd walk in for that Sunday school lesson on the armor of God with a half-naked man on the wall. Man just standing there in his undies. And then the Sunday school teacher would pull out some Velcro, start putting on Velcro, finally dressing this half-naked man. This was in a Baptist church of all places. We can deceive ourselves to think, guys, that this armor of God is some sort of separate physical thing. It's not. It's the presence of God. My dad says it's inextricably intertwined. You don't segment your Christian walk. You are holistically in your Christian walk. And same with this armor of God. This is the very presence of God. Number two, trust his proclamation here in this text. That's how you stand against. We can't bank on a whole lot of things. I love one mentor that Scott and I both had. He said, Larry Osborne, he said, be very careful to put a a verse of scripture with every strategy you, you implement in the church. Because sometimes, look, Worship styles and all these things, they change, right? The word of God never changes. And the mission of God never changes. 
We might be in different locations, be in different places, do it different way. But the word of God, the absolute truth of God's word never changes. What's the trust his proclamation? In the text it says, so that you may be able. This is a guarantee. This is not a put on the whole armor of God and let's see what happens. No, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, because what Jesus has declared in the Great Commission, all authority because of my death, burial, and resurrection has been given to me. Therefore, I give it to you to go and make disciples of all nations. And as Pastor Scott reminded me on our journey, as he taught one day in a little devotional on the Great Commission, the key to the Great Commission is this, not our presence, but Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus has declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the proclamation of Jesus. Proclamation of Jesus is what we trust. God has not promised to bless your health, wealth, and prosperity. God sometimes gives us suffering and blessing, but the only reason why any of you are experiencing suffering and blessing in Christ Jesus is to advance the kingdom of God. That's the only thing he's promised to bless. Number three, Execute his plan. Execute his plan. It says put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so what's this plan? It's found in verse 13 with our third point. You want to write this down? Look yourself really holy next to your neighbor. Nudge that other neighbor that's asleep. Let's keep going. Everybody say take up. Here Paul talks about the plan. The plan is for us to Take up the armor of God. And so this beautiful passage, look at verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then Paul submits six pieces of armor. Now, the first three pieces of armor, you're gonna see this word, having the belt of truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, having the shoes of the gospel of peace. These are, Three pieces of armor mean you're never supposed to take these off. It's assumed you have these. The next three pieces of armor that will break down, you take up in moments of war, moments of battle. Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. So let's break these down together. It says in verse 14, stand therefore, stand against. How do we do this? Execute this plan, take up. Stand therefore, having Fasten on the belt of truth. Let's have some fun looking at these different pieces of armor together. The belt of truth is centered and holds everything together. This speaks to truth, the word of God, and also truthfulness, the application of the word of God. Okay? And so when we think about this, think about wartime and all that, a soldier, if the belt's not together, your pants start to fall, your sword is not in the right spot, the breastplate of righteousness, because everything's connected, is out of whack. Thus, you cannot battle strong. The belt of truth, that center. You know that truthfulness one preacher speaks about is this, accuracy, God's word is perfect, flawless. I'm all about some of the resources we try and put in our lives, Christians. And there's nothing wrong with you going and studying on leadership and trying to, you know, get yourself healthy and all these other different things. But even in terms of Christian literature, guys, put it aside every now and then and just go to the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God will sharpen you up and it'll make this accuracy happen in your life to where you'll be doing the very thing God calls you to. But secondly, you know what it speaks to? Altitude, this preacher said. Altitude. Hope. 
The enemy, if a mighty fortress is our God, you know what the enemy wants to do? Drag us down to his level. My dad always says this, especially be careful on social media today. Don't get in the mud with the pigs. Both of you will end up getting dirty and they'll love it. The enemy wants to drag us down. And so what do we do? We lift high the word of God, which is above, right? Living and active. It lifts up our head. It keeps us focused on what we need to focus on. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness is in this text. It says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, this peace protects the vital organs like the heart. Without this, we're done. And so this righteousness that's being referred to is not self-righteousness, <laughs> Although we're good at that in the church, it's amazing. We come in desperate in need for God's grace, and then God saves us, and then we become a little churched, and we forget about grace. And we start demanding, even from a pastor, a grace that we're not really willing to give to others. Church becomes this place for clean people instead of a hospital for the sick. We gotta be careful with self-righteousness. What's being talked about, the righteousness here, is salvation righteousness and sanctification righteousness. Salvation righteousness is that imputed righteousness, right? The gospel is you can't, but Jesus did. Because Jesus did, you can. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. I came into this world, Robert Edwin John Wilton. Cute little sucker, but a sinner. When I gave my life to Jesus, he clothed me in the righteousness of God, and he calls me now a saint. Who that? I told you God's a Saints fan. <laughs> Why would he be a Panthers fan? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> Loves his saints. And so I'm the righteousness of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done for me. But I want to push even farther. This righteousness, guys, is not just that imputed righteousness. It's a sanctification righteousness. It's that daily grind of becoming more like Christ. Everybody agree that takes hard work? Look, how many of y'all are doing really well on your New Year's resolutions? That's what I thought. I had this desire to lose weight this year. And then Lucifer showed up in New Orleans. It's called a king cake. I told you he's used to be loose jeans. I ain't got no money, right, because they're holy jeans. Somebody offered me money in the first service, asked if I, I needed new jeans because these jeans are falling apart. So he doesn't get it. He ain't down with it, young people. He, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. We would just keep him. He doesn't know words like on fleek and next level, right? So you just keep indoctrinating these old fuddy-duddies, okay? But listen, with these New Year resolutions and everything else, it takes hard work. Hard work, guys. Some of y'all right now are so addicted to social media. Literally, when the alarm hits, the first thing you do is pick up your phone and look at Facebook. So how are you going to break yourself of that? You need to fast, but you need to also discipline yourself. You need to practice rolling out of bed, hitting your knees, and opening up the Word of God. And it's going to be hard for the first 10 days, but by the 40th day, man, you're going to start being able to live this out. That's the strength thing. That's the breastplate of righteousness. I need the word of God before I go to work way more than what some opinion is or a like on Facebook. Breastplate of righteousness. Know the word, obey it. Number three, the shoes of the gospel of peace. These are old school flip-flop slash cleats. And so in these things, the shoes of the gospel of peace, read with me in verse 15, it says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Everybody take a deep breath. 
That's what the gospel provides. Peace. Peace. That's security. This world is going cray-cray right now. We got to put as a foundation in our life the gospel of Jesus. We don't know about this or this or this. Can't trust opinion polls anymore. But we do know the word of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is our foundation. It speaks to security. Number two, stability. When you go back and study in Roman times, the soldiers would have like spikes. I told you, old school cleats. And it would provide the stability so that when the enemy would come, they could stand their ground. Listen, have y'all seen my legs? Look at my legs. These are huge thighs. They're not that strong anymore. Look, I could have the most strong upper body, right? Thighs, all that kind of stuff. If my feet aren't stable, I cannot utilize the strength. And so I've got to have, for found, some of y'all like really strong in some areas, but you've not grounded it in the gospel. And so put on those shoes of the gospel of peace, which speaks to stability, but then number three, sending, it speaks to sending. I receive a command from my commander. And he tells me to go this way. And without the shoes of the gospel of peace, I can't make it there. So it's about sending. All right. So first three, having. The second three, number one, shield of faith. It's right here in this text. Look at it. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And so when you take up that shield of faith, there's so many things. This is a central part of the soldier's defense. It protects against the attacks from the enemy. The attacks from the enemy come in two ways. Number one, flaming darts. Number two, self-sufficiency. And so the shield of faith, the flaming darts have nothing to do. The flames really aren't there to destroy you. They're there to distract you. So this is what happens, Southbridge Fellowship. Can I keep it real with, with them, Pastor Scott? All right, so here, here's, here's where it, it happens. Some of you guys, the flaming part of it is you being obsessed with finding a building for this church. Because your hope's in chariots and horses. You're missing out on the love that's in this room right now. I can testify, trying out 13 different locations in eight years. Finally finding a building and buying it, that wasn't the X factor for us. In fact, some of the beautiful things of our teardown setup has made us weaker. Because we're starting to cruise, because we're a little more comfortable. The flaming darts is the enemy shot a flaming dart, and you're like, oh, I need a building over here, I need a building. And what have you done? Your back is now exposed to the enemy. Boom! So what are you chasing? That's just the church as a whole. What are you chasing? The enemy is going to throw things that are going to, Go away. So the shield of faith, if you go and study the breakdown of the makeup of the shield of faith, it actually would absorb those flames. It was made to absorb. So you put up the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Our faith is in God, not in a building. Our faith is in God, not in a building, right? And all those things. The second thing is self-sufficiency. Y'all think the Apostle Paul is pretty awesome? I do. Can't wait to hang out with him in heaven. Go and try and find in Scripture a time where he was on mission by himself. Never. He always linked arms with the body of Christ, the church, the believers. So these shield of faith, y'all know like those movies 300 and stuff? They form the tortoise formation. Don't get out there just by yourself. 
Bring some people around you. Get in a small group. Don't just sit in rows. Sit in circles. And allow the enemies, right, attacks to be counterattacked. Shield of faith, man. I could preach on that for hours. Next, the helmet of salvation. I love this one. Love it. Because I know this is real talk. Some of you are doubting things right now. Enemy goes at our minds, doesn't he? Man, since the age of seven, I've doubted my salvation many times. Because here's the truth. Some of you are engaged in this spiritual warfare. You lost the battle last night on your computer. Sir, you lost a battle in integrity this past week at your workplace. You said something stupid to your kids. And it really hurt your witness to them. We lose battles all the time. But you know what the helmet of salvation speaks to? Salvation. Have been saved, justification. Are being saved, sanctification. And oh, by the way, there's a third part. Will be completely one day saved, glorification. And what that means is that in Christ Jesus, he will never leave me nor forsake me. When the enemy comes at me and says, you failed, you lost a battle, I, boom, put on the helmet of salvation. And I say, I'm in Christ Jesus. I might have lost that battle, Satan, but I cannot lose the war. I can't. Because Jesus was, is, and forever will be completely victorious. Love those amens. You are kind of Baptocostal. Last one, sword of the spirit. Be careful of that, Scott, because I got a plane to catch this afternoon. If you say keep going, I could be here and I missed my flight. Sword of the spirit. This is that offensive weapon. I love the picture of like in 300. Somebody like, don't watch 300, it's for sinners. I like it. So, shield of faith, and like when it was time to attack, the shield of faith would spread out. Whoo! Come back. Sparta! And yes, people have told me I look like Gerard Butler, so it all fits. <laughs> Sword of the Spirit, offensive weapon. The Word of God, listen to me, is living and active. This is not some dead thing. Living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And when it's spoken about here, the Sword of the Spirit, it's not spoken about just the written Word of God, the Logos. It's spoken about the utterance of the written Word of God. One single adult in our church, she says she overwhelms her walls in every part of her house with scriptures. And when she walks from one room to the next, she just reads them out loud. It's against the enemy. Because the enemy, he's nasty in New Orleans. Like he's not omnipresent, so he can't be everywhere. But I believe Satan himself right now is in New Orleans with Mardi Gras. He has a condo on St. Charles Avenue. And so we have to be really against. And so we put those scriptures up because as for me and my house, I want to serve the Lord. And so we put these things, the sword of the spirit. Even Jesus modeled for that, us that in a defensive way, didn't he? In the desert, Satan comes at him. What did he do? Sword of the spirit. He quoted De Deuteronomy back to the enemy. And so we can see this living, active word of God. All right, we got to close. We got to close. Um, here's what this taking up will do for us. You got to write these down quick. Protection, guard, God will guard you. Precision, God will lead you. Power, God will equip you. Perseverance, God will reward you. Anybody else want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant one day? Take up the whole armor of God. Everybody say, take up. Take up. Last one, we close. Keep alert. Everybody say, keep alert. Keep alert. Hit that neighbor that fell asleep. Say, keep alert. Y'all aren't doing it. I'll keep doing this. <laughs> keep, alert. keep alert. What seems to be your problem? 
So verse 18 says this, praying. Now let's just stop there because I'm a little aggravated. Paul, you've just talked about spiritual warfare, putting on the helmet, sword, and all this kind. I'm ready to tackle somebody. I'm ready to jab somebody in the throat. I'm ready to charge hell with the water pistol. <laughs> and you tell us to pray? I got to travel to Indonesia with, at the time, my mentor, Dr. David Platt, to train pastors. I had served as his assistant to the Dina Chapel at New Orleans Seminary. We all lost our possessions in Katrina. He calls us up, me and my buddy Robbie Gallaty, who was one of the top drug dealers in the city of New Orleans, who radically came to faith in Jesus, who's now pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, my good friend. The three of us went together to Indonesia to train pastors, Surabaya, right near Jakarta. The challenge was two weeks right before that, two Christians were killed by radical Muslims. So we were hesitant, we were nervous, but we went. When we went, we taught all day, it was an amazing time, God did some amazing things, but as we came back to our hotel late that night, there was a mob coming towards the hotel. Immediately our guide told us, hurry up, get in your uh, hotel room, lock the door, don't come out until I come up there. So we go upstairs in a panic, and we lock the door. Now just to set the scene for you, Pastor uh, David Platt, Dr. David Platt, he's a little guy. Um, Robbie Gallaty, six foot seven, almost 300 pounds. He was a UFC fighter, master in jujitsu. So we close the door and immediately I'm like, Robbie! <laughs> if we're going down, we're going down with a fight. I need to master jujitsu now! So I might be exaggerating, Pastor Scott, but he breaks the bed in half, <laughs> forms weapons. He's training me some moves, the kill shot. We have time to call the wives? No, we don't. We're learning jujitsu. <laughs> and we look over to our right, and this was a lesson that God taught me before I planted Vintage Church. Dr. David Platt was on his knees praying to God next to his bed. And I learned something that the great John Wesley shared. Prayer is where the action is. Prayer is where the action is. Paul says here, praying at all times after he declares to us the armor of God to take it up. Prayer here is not separate. It's once again, as my dad says, inextricably intertwined. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert. Everybody say, keep alert. Keep with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There it is, saints fan. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so guys, we've got to pray. Praise where the action is. And the reason for prayer is number one, enjoyment of God right now. Some of y'all need to just pause and pray and remember God right now. Don't be like my kids. Sometimes I give them presents. They snatch it out of my hand and then they go and play by themselves. Nothing worse than that as a dad. Can I get a hug? Can I get a thank you? And we do that to God all the time, don't we? 
We just want something from God. We snatch it out, and then we're so busy for God, we forget about God. Enjoy God, church. Number two, it speaks of the need of God. Raise your hand if you're a sinner in the house. We all need God. Confession of our sin, dependence upon him. We pray because it's okay. He invites us to come. He's our heavenly father. He loves us. We are his children. But number three, the mission of God. As Pastor Scott and I, last night, after we had this unbelievable, that, that meal that your wife made, that, it was like glorified chicken <laughs> with some sort of peanuts or something with honey tasting with corn casserole goodness. Angels were singing. But after we ate that meal, we drove around this neighborhood and just prayed and dreamed together. And I don't know, maybe all the lost people are in New Orleans right now. But I guarantee you know someone in this city that needs Jesus. And I even see there's not much room left in here. Well, what we need is for Pastor Scott to go back and be trained and, and because we need his brilliance. And what we need is a church growth specialist to come in here and give us five steps to, to solve this problem. No, what we need is to pray. Amen. And we need to ask for the Lord to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the band comes up, we're going to celebrate through communion today, the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate with baptisms to get together. And if I preach too long and you leave, I pray that God's wrath comes down on you. Because <laughs> there is absolutely nothing more important in this room, not even you beating the Methodists to Quincy's or whatever, than us celebrating Jesus together. Sir? That's thinking about leaving. Model for your kids, this is the most important thing. So every head bowed, every eye closed right now. First of all, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus if you don't know him. Would you receive his presence? There's no hope of you standing against the enemy without Jesus. So confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised from the dead. You will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved right now. I'm not going to pray a prayer for you. You come to Jesus just as you are and receive him. This church will give you next steps and we'll follow up with you. Love to see you baptized here in a few weeks. Receive Jesus. Number two, you know Jesus, but let's maybe consider the reasons for prayer here. You need a renewed spirit to enjoy God. I'm about to go into this Lent season with our church and I'm gonna be doing some fasting praying. That's my number one prayer because I've gotten tired. I've grown weary and well-doing in New Orleans. Cut $130,000 out of our budget this past year. Took a pay cut. We're scrambling. We're trying to hustle all these things and I've lost a little bit of my enjoyment, my delight in the Lord. And so I'm gonna pray for that. Maybe that's you. How about number two, the need of God? You're in sin. You need, you need victory right now. You're losing some battles. And the Lord has offered to you this truth that he's victorious, not you. So bow and ask for him to bring victory into your life. Number three, the mission of God. 
Challenge yourself right now. Who's one person in your life in this city that needs Jesus? And before you go with all your evangelistic brilliance to convince them that they need Jesus, how about pray and ask for Jesus to save them before you get there? Because he saves, not you. We plant, we water, God gives the growth. Lord Jesus, as we close, I love this church family so much and I'm so thankful for them. God, I pray that a, a powerful, as I prayed with Pastor Scott last night, as we just drifted around this area, I pray that a powerful move of your Holy Spirit would flood throughout these streets. Lord, I pray that as a result of it, you alone would receive all glory and praise. Thank you, Jesus, for your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.